So Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. If you there, say amen. amen. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for have not found your works perfect before God. Remember there, for how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know the hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we do thank you this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us even today. Lord, we know that your word is living, as we'll see today, and uh, it's able to speak right into our spirits, you know, separating carnal and spiritual, giving us what we need today. I pray that for everybody in this room, Lord. I pray even now at this very moment that you would take away the cares of this life and the burdens of this world, the doubts, the anxieties, the worries, the concerns. Lord, that you would have this hour as your own to speak to us, remove distractions even from the room. Let us hear clearly what you have to say by your spirit. Lord God, we surrender to that, Lord. We invite that. And Lord, we give you, uh, not that we need to give you anything, but we give you full power to transform us now. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we say, amen, amen. And as you take your seat, I want to shorten the review just a little because I keep going over time. There's so much uh, here. But I have to remind you that the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that gives us a special divine blessing tied to it. And you remember that in chapter 1, verse 3. How many of you remember that, by the way? Good. How many of you are taking notes, by the way? That's good. All right. Yeah, because it said, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things written in it for the time is near. We talked about that weeks back, and you can get full review by listening to one of the previous weeks. But it's good for us to understand that there is a blessing that the Lord intends for us to receive as we go through this book because it's going to do something to us. Whenever we start a journey together and we finish it together, it's amazing. But just because you're showing up week in and week out and you're receiving with your brothers and sisters here in the sanctuary the word of revelation, it's going to have a transforming effect on our lives. And I encourage you to, uh, even in your own time, go back every week and look at it again because there's more there than I can cover in 45 minutes even. And so I encourage you to do that. Also, there was a divine outline attached with the book of Revelation. We remember that from chapter 1, verse 19. How many of you have written that down by now? That's good. Chapter 1, verse 19, he gave us a three-part outline right from the Lord Jesus. Write the things which uh, you have seen, past tense. The things which are, present tense. And the things which must take place after this, which is in the future, and that's the three-part outline. And the things that we had seen or John had seen was the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ in chapter 1. How he presents himself to the church as he who walks in the midst of the church is completely involved in everything that the church is doing and knows everything that the church is doing and has the church, the, the, the pastors and the church in his right hand and, and sees all. And he is, uh, if you will, giving life to the church. And, and so he says, write those things. And the way he presents himself, we draw application from that as we continue through the book of Revelation. But he also said, write the things which are present tense. And what was present tense for John, who received this revelation and delivered it to us, is still present for us today. And that is the church age itself. And that is where we are in chapters 2 and chapters 3 as Jesus is delivering seven letters to the seven churches speaking to seven conditions that he's concerned about, which we'll talk about. And then the last part of the outline was write the things which must take place after this, metatalta in the Greek, and it speaks to that which comes next, and it literally speaks to that which is after the church age, chapter 4 of the book. 
and it gives us a beautiful picture, if you will, of the church, if you will, being raptured into heaven as we do not see the church on earth within the book of Revelation again until she returns with her Lord in chapter 19. But I love the fact that in chapter 5, we see what I call the inauguration service for Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Remember, the book of Revelation in the Greek, apocalypse, means the revealing. Unlike the sci-fi movie, it means total devastation and destruction. But in the Bible, it means the revealing, the unveiling, if you will, of our King and our Lord. Amen? Amen. That's why the book is so good. We get to see Jesus in the book of Revelation in, in a way we haven't at, uh, until this point. And it's beautiful for us. And so then as we've been trekking through this, we've been looking at the seven letters and we've made our way down to Sardis. Last week, we read verses one and verses two and we covered those. And I want to remind you that these seven letters, there's several ways that we apply them. Hopefully by now you've written it down. There were seven little churches in these cities that are mentioned in Asia Minor in the first century. Jesus wrote letters to each of them and he dealt with the condition that was going on in the church, that particular church at that particular time. And so he, he wrote in a way that they would understand that he, the Lord, sees what's going on behind the scenes because Jesus sees everything, amen? He knows what kind of Christian you are this morning and what kind of church this is this morning. And so he wrote that little letter, literal letter to them so that they would understand that. And he exhorted them in what they needed to do to correct issues. That's what Jesus does. He still speaks to us today in that way. If you have a relationship with him, he points to you the issues that he has. And he exhorts you from his word and what you need to do to change it. Anybody here know that? Yeah, we, know, we experience that if we're walking with him. So we understand that. But each one of them ends, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, which reminds us that all seven churches had to read seven letters. Because Jesus wanted them all to understand these seven conditions because at any given time, we might find ourselves or the church might find themselves dealing with one of the other conditions and they need to know and understand what the Lord expects for them to deal with, which also means that every Christian must read how many letters? Seven letters to the seven churches because you need to understand it. You have to apply this personally. In this room this morning, there could be all seven conditions represented by individual believers and one of the conditions is probably prevalent here at Calvary Clayton but then there's a prophetic picture that Jesus wants us to understand because as we look at these seven letters these seven conditions I should say they seem to resemble the progression of the Christian church and only because of the order that they're placed in, which gives us the confidence that Jesus wants us to get a prophetic outlook. So much so that the last four of these letters, as I've told you before, are very different from the initial three in that in these last four, Jesus begins to give hints, if you will, of these four conditions being the most prevalent maybe in the final days before the Lord returns as he threatened those in Thyatira that they may go into great tribulation if they didn't get out of bed with Jezebel here in Sardis that he would come as a thief, which we'll touch on today. And in Philadelphia, he's going to keep them from tribulation and by the time you get to Laodicea he's standing outside knocking you know asking to come in if you will and so these conditions are extremely important for us to see so let's dive in y'all ready all right well let me finish reviewing I got a few more pieces I'm in debt to y'all with time somebody released me of my debt in first service said pass Kevin just take your time we don't care so now I'm debt free and uh you know, you just, you just have to bear with me. Um, notice, remember, he said, well, let me just run through this. Remember, if you're just joining us, the angel of the church of Sardis, the angel is angelos in the Greek. It means messenger because God never uses a man to pre preach to angels. He, he's, he's speaking of the human element, the, the, the one who he's raised up to be the messenger of the particular church, the pastor, if you will, or bishop sometime they would use, or the lead elder, uh, if you will, in the region of Sardis, to the angel of the church of Sardis, right? Remember, Sardis was a city, I told you last week, Sardis was a city that was elevated on a mountain 
mountain about 1,500 feet up. Y'all remember that? And uh, looking down at the crossroads where all the roads in Asia Minor met. And because they were up on this cliff, they uh, had cliffs surrounding about three of the sides, if you will. So they only had one side that was uh, connected where they had to defend. It was even said that a child, that children could defend Sardis. And yet Sardis was taken twice because they were so confident and became so comfortable that they went to sleep and were taken at night twice. And they didn't learn the second time they were taken from the first time that it happened, one by Cyrus the Great. Historically, that's what happened. And Jesus is even using that, if you will, to speak to them about their spiritual condition. And remember, he said, these things says, he who has the seven spirits. And I, I don't want to do a full review, but Jesus, remember, seven, the number of completion, the seven spirits, a picture from chapter one, speaking of the fact that Jesus is the one, listen, y'all, who has the complete and full work of the Holy Spirit which the church of Sardis lacks because he says that they were what? Dead. Life begins with the Spirit. Jesus says you must be born again. If you have not the Spirit of God, you don't belong to him, is what the Bible teaches us. So the life we have is the life of the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, as a believer, we begin this journey in the leading and, and the quickening and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul warned the Galatian church, having begun in the Spirit, how do you now seek to be made perfect in the flesh? Y'all remember that? And so the Christian life must be a life that is in the Spirit. And the danger for Christians, just like in Sardis, which is what Jesus wants us to see, is that sometimes as believers, we can grow beyond the elementary things, and now we think we know something. And we can get comfortable and go to sleep. And Jesus doesn't want that to happen in your individual life. And this morning, I pray that you are awake spiritually as much as physically. And I pray that that's your daily life, awake and alive in the spirit of God. So he says, he who has the seven spirits and the seven stars, control of the church. I know your works, remember, which implied they had works. And they had a name that you were alive, but Jesus says you are dead. I know your works, that so they were working. And they had a name, speaking of a reputation. So remember that if we were to be there in the first century and look at Sardis, we would think the church of Sardis was alive and amazing. Everything was together. It was tight. There was ministry. The calendar was full. The website was on point. Parking team was getting them in. Everything was happening. The things that we would look at and say, man, that's the church I want to go to. And Jesus says, but you are dead. And he's writing first to the pastors, I told you last week, and that's scary. So Jesus said this in his exhortation. Remember, we looked at this one last week, and then we'll move forward. He said, be watchful. And I told you last week, the word be watchful, it, it had several different meanings. You know, it meant to be, to give strict attention to something. I was talking to a brother who is from Greece, who speaks Greek as a, uh, his native language, and he said the implication in the Greek, it, it, was, it was even more so, it was it meant to be restless, which I actually like that. It meant, listen, that the Christian, check it out, is to be restless, never fully comfortable on this side of heaven. Because we are behind enemy lines, and this is not a home according to the scripture. We are pilgrims. We're always journeying. So the real picture of the Christian life is, I ain't never comfortable on planet Earth. Because I don't want to be comfortable, too comfortable down here. Because as soon as you become too comfortable down here, you find yourself drifting towards spiritual death. And so you need to have, if you will, you need to occupy until the Lord come, yes. You need to be a good steward over the time and the resources that the Lord has given you, yes. You need to be active and involved in, in, in the church and what God is doing, yes. You need to be in your communities and in your jobs doing the things that God has called you to do, but those things are never to overtake you because as a believer, we need to be, if you will, one eye focus on those things, the other eye focus on the coming of the Lord. This is important for us. And so he says that literally you should be restless. You should be so in tune with what God is doing that you are ready to see him. And that's what this is all implying. So then the exhortation is to be watchful. And now let's move forward. Notice the next thing he says, and strengthen the things which remain. I love this. This word strengthen, it means to fix and make stable or firm. 
It, it, it means to render something consistent or constant. It speaks of something that is unstable or inconsistent and needs to be firmed up. Because in Sardis, because they were dead, if you will, and I don't want you to get the picture that all of the people in the church of Sardis, none of them were born again. No, there was a remnant born again, but collectively, the church in Sardis was dead. See, spiritual life for a church, listen, this is very important because most of us might not realize this. The spiritual life of a church is not in how busy they are and how much stuff they're doing. Anybody can do a lot of stuff. The life is, listen, can the Spirit of God speak and the leadership first, the pastor and leaders hear and be obedient to that voice? That, 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 because then that trickles down throughout and permeates throughout the whole congregation. See, a Christian who hears the voice of the Lord and responds is one who's alive. Others can be drifting through life, kind of doing their own thing. But life is, I'm connected to the Lord, and, and his, he speaks to me by his spirit and through his word, and I respond to that. And so he says, strengthen the things that remain. Make it stable because it's, it's not stable. It's not firm. It's not consistent. It's, there's some things going on, but it's very inconsistent. Is that you today? Are you sometimes in the word? Sometimes praying when things are difficult and you really need the Lord. Sometimes in fellowship. But at other times dabbling in other things. Would we think that you're a believer on Tuesday? Would you think that I'm a believer if you saw me on Tuesday? Am I consistent in my walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus? Am I so restless with the stuff down here, but I'm so, if you will, comfortable running to Christ and crying out to him and seeking the comfort that comes from my time with him in the morning? And I would ask you today, is that you? Are you comfortable where you are in this earth with the things of this world? Are you inconsistent as a believer? Would anybody look at your life and be able to say on Tuesday, because Tuesday just seems like a good day to ask the question. <laughs> Is that person walking with the Lord? He says, strengthen, make stable. In other words, you got a kitchen table, but one of the legs are shaky. You know, or you, you, know, you ain't going to sit in a chair where the legs are shaky, are you? No, you're going to put that one aside and tighten that up, right? Well, he's saying, he, you might need to tighten up your spiritual walk today. You need to tune it up. You need to get it strengthened and stable and consistent because your spiritual life depends on it. Notice he says here again in verse, verse, verse 2, he says, strengthen the things which remain. This word remain is interesting because it means residue. As of that which is left from something that was stronger. That which is left from a time when it was right and things were going well. You know, if you ever go to one of those special events, y'all ever been to an event where, um, you know, when you pay to get in, they stamp you, your hand. I'm talking about good events now. Because I, I rem yeah, it, it, but the good events where you go with your family and they stamp your hand on the way in and, and, and you go to that event and you experience some really good times and you have some wonderful and fond memories from that event. And when you leave, every time you look at that stamp, it reminds you of where you just went, you know, and then uh, over a little time, though, that little, little stamp begins to fade, you know, it's just this little residue left and eventually it's gone, you know. Notice what Jesus says here. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain, he says, that are ready to die. Jesus says that that little residue is ready to completely fade away. And if you are living on the fumes of a former Christian glory or experience, then you are almost dead. That's what Jesus is saying. And this is a dangerous thing for us to Understand. Listen, experiences are great. And we should, as Christians, have some wonderful times where some wonderful things happen. But what we need to do now is we need to understand that Christ is alive today. Amen? Oh, man. I, I know y'all are focused. Somebody told me, Pastor Kevin, we don't respond. It's just because we're focused on what you're saying. So I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. We need to understand that Christ is alive today. Amen? Amen. Good, good. And, and that his word is alive. Whoa, his word is alive and it breathes life into us. And because we are 
with those of us who are spirit-filled, who are born again and spirit-filled, we are to be experiencing life in the Lord because he gives life every day. And we need to understand that. And so when we, when we think about it, that means that it's no way for us to be healthy Christians if we're Sunday morning Christians. There's no way to be healthy. Because the truth of the matter is, look, I'll put myself in your shoes. When I get opportunity, like a few Sundays ago, the first Sunday of the year, I was on vacation. We went to church. And then other times when I'm at conferences, when I get the opportunity to sit where you are, I have, I have learned something. You know, the first end of the year, I was at another Calvary Chapel, and I, I learned something, and I took it to heart. As you sit there and listen to a 45-minute message, you can only get three or four good nuggets. In other words, you ain't going to be able to retain but a little bit of what I'm saying. And some of that's the work of the Holy Spirit because he's trying to customize it and fine-tune it for where you are. You know, which means that you need to be attentive. And that's what Jesus is going to say now as we continue. Notice he says this, and I got I to move a little bit. He says, strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect. In other words, your works are not complete. There are some things that, uh, about your works that, that are not, if you will, uh, by and of the Spirit. It's all of the flesh. And, and look, the things that we do in the flesh are not going to last. It's the thing that the Spirit is leading us to do. This is what lasts. So notice what he says in verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Now, this is an interesting part of the verse. Look at it again. Remember, look at verse 3 again. Remember, therefore, how you have received and, and, and heard. It's interesting how Jesus words that. Some of your versions may say, remember what you received and heard. And I understand that translation, but it's incorrect. It literally, the King James and the New King James literally reads how. The Greek word, uh, it literally means how or in what way, meaning in what, by what means and what manner you have heard and you have received. In other words, Sardis needs to remember how they received and heard the word of God and by what means God worked in them when they were on fire and when they, they began as a church. And, and we need to take this to heart. Paul says the same things to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when, notice, you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And see, this is the thing. When a church is birthed and a movement is born, it's a complete work of the Holy Spirit using the Word of God. Amen? We understand that. And, and that's what Paul said to the Thessalonians in the beginning. When the Word of God came to you, it came in, in power and of the Holy Spirit, and it transformed your lives. How many of you remember when the Word of God was coming to you and you were on fire and it was changing you, and literally it was your joy to get your Bible and read what thus says the Lord? Anybody remember those days? Okay, good. I hope they're still going on in your life. This is a concern for me because today, and let me just speak to home, Calvary Chapel needs to remember the same. I've seen, and I think God has shown me that there's some Calvaries that have a misunderstanding of, of, of what this is. Because we weren't there when it began. But when I read about how even the Calvary Chapel movement began during the Jesus days in the 60s, and, and, I, and I listen to the old guys who are all in their 60s now, <laughs> all the guys that were there when this stuff was happening, what they tell me is interesting because I don't always see it. They tell me of a time when the, when, when the Word was being taught and how the Holy Spirit was actually moving. There was a man in the first service who was, was uh, he was healed of a back issue in an afterglow service. What's an afterglow service? It's when church, regular church is over and spirit-filled people don't want to go home, so they start another service and they just get to praying and singing and the Holy Spirit moves in various ways and the gifts of the Spirit begin to kind of flow and it's a healthy environment. There's no non-believers in there and, and God does a work because it was so much going on of the Spirit of God and through the teaching of God that the people of God just wanted to be around each other. Now, we just want to run out of here. Get in, get my seat, and then I'm out, you know? And we kind of get, we can get comfortable with that, and we run back into the, to the world. And I, I think what we need to understand is, listen, as you sit there this morning, 
morning, there's something that the living word of God by the Holy Spirit of God wants to say to you. And, and he's going to customize it for each one of you. You're going to receive exactly what you need. There's going to be a nugget here or there that is exactly for you because God is speaking. And so Jesus says here, and this is the part I want you to catch. Remember, therefore, how you have received, which tells me that there is a way that I used to receive. And it was with eagerness and hunger that I desired to see and hear the things of God. I used to show up at church with a full expectation that God was going to speak. And sometimes I would show up and it'd be an assistant pastor speaking or a guest pastor speaking. And I never let it phase me because the life is in the spirit of God using his word and it goes beyond some human element. I don't care what knucklehead I put up here. If you come with the right heart, and they're not knuckleheads. Those my <laughs> I only said that because Pastor Jeffrey's sitting right there and I see him. <laughs> no, how you hear is important, which means, check this out. It's just as important how you go to church as it is that you go to the right church. It's just as important how you hear the message today as it is that you hear a good message today. Because you come with your heart and mind ready to receive from God. And that, that starts with how your week goes before you even get to the weekend. And you walk in here and God will completely bless you because his word is alive. His spirit is alive and he is moving in the church today. So I encourage you. That I think God wants to do a brand new work and a new season here and some things that we're going to share even next week. And I want you to be prepared for it. He says, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. How did it come to you? It was simple. Before the church had all the bells and whistles, I might say to Sardis or I might share with you at Calvary Chapel, Clayton, when we were in a school building where we had to move stuff around just to half service and we ain't own nothing but a few chairs and we would open our Bibles and we would study the word and we would fellowship and we never were quick to add the bells and whistles. We still don't have bells and whistles. There are churches that are smaller than us who have more stuff than us. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? There's, a, there's something that's more important than all of that. Remember how and keep that alive. In other words, let's remember the simplicity of receiving the word of God and worshiping him and having healthy fellowship with him. So he says, remember that how you received, how you heard, and hold fast and repent. Turn back to the simplicity. That might have been why they sung that song because the worship team tends to read ahead. So they said, I'm coming back. Wasn't that the song? The heart of worship. Ain't that what Steve was singing? Okay, I'm just making sure. Because <laughs> it's all about you. And that's what we need to remember. And Paul, uh, uh, John saying to us here through the uh, word of Jesus Christ, Remember how you received and how you heard. Hold fast and repent. But notice what he says now. He says, therefore, if you will not watch, if you get comfortable, if you decide, and I'm enjoying the world too much. Paul in a dungeon in Rome, not too long before he was beheaded, said, you know, this guy has forsaken me having loved this present world. Let that not be said of you today. Today, do you love the world when the Bible says love not the world because the world is passing away and the things of it? Uh, we see the time creeping in. The Bible says that we should, we should do this more and more. Remember in Hebrews, it says that we need to not forsake the gathering of the saints. But more and more as we see the day approaching, we need to come together and exhort one another, meaning that you be present, use your spiritual gifts, and exhort one another in the Lord and in the word so that we can all be strengthened as we see the day coming close when the Lord is going to return. And this is how we need to live as Christians. And so he says here as we look at it, he says, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what our I will come upon you. Those words are very sobering. Some say that what Jesus is implying here and what he means is that if they won't watch, he'll come upon them in judgment in the form of disciplining them for their sin. And I have to say, indeed, God does that within the church. The Bible is very clear. God disciplines those whom he loves. And if he doesn't discipline us, then we don't belong to him, right? So God is the kind of parent that disciplines. I won't go into that. I'm trying to stay focused. God is the kind of parent that will discipline to keep us focused. And that's good. 
But I think there's even a bigger image here that the Lord wants us to see. He says, a thief, often a thief in the night. And and every time this phrase is used in the Bible by the Lord or his apostles, it's speaking of the Lord's return for his church. And, And he will take, listen, it will take those who are not watching by surprise and they will not be ready. Let me share with you what the New Testament says about this phrase. The first one, Jesus told his disciples to be ready in Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44 on the screen. It says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord, your Lord is coming. He's saying to Christians, hey Christians, watch, because you don't know when I'm going to show up. And that speaks to the fact that there is absolutely no way we can determine when he's going to show up. That's what Jesus just said, right? Now, the only interpretation of that is the literal one. Jesus said, you don't know when he's coming. Isn't that simple? The Bible is so simple. We don't know when he is coming. And I want you to understand something. We kind of have a great idea, a pretty good idea, of when Jesus returns to earth at his second coming. He's coming in the clouds. It'll be dark. Windows of heaven will be open. Jesus will come through on a white horse. We will return with him. We know that, right? How do we pinpoint that? Daniel gives us an idea. He, he points to some things that are going to happen. We know it's a seven-year period. We know that in the middle of that period, three and a half years in, there's the abomination of desolation, which Daniel talked about and the Lord Jesus confirmed, which means that from three and a half years from that point to the end, Jesus should be arriving, okay? And Jesus is saying that there's going to be a surprise, which hints to his coming aside from that event for his church. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. In other words, I'm a man, I have a house, a wife, and children. If I know the thief is coming at 1 a.m., I will be in my rocking chair with my 12-gauge. Right, guys? Hey, ladies, that's what I'm talking about right there. She got hers, too. Everybody got something. This is Johnson County. Everybody got a gun, you know? <laughs> yeah. If we knew, but we, 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 we don't. He says, therefore, you also be ready, but you don't need a shotgun to be ready for the Lord coming. You be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said it this way. He said that he would catch the world off guard in 2 Peter 3.10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. There's our phrase again in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. A thief in the night, he says, and uh, uh, the day of the Lord speaks of the time in which the Lord takes the authority from his father to rule the earth. It starts in Revelation chapter 5 when he takes the scroll out of his father's hands and begins to unleash the seals and judgment begins on planet earth. We'll see that in a few weeks or months. I'm not sure. <laughs> so he says that the heavens and earth will pass away with a great noise the elements will melt with a fervent heat. So there goes your RV and your boat and your, 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 your second vacation home and all the stuff and the 401k, all that stuff that we can focus on. It's going to burn with a fervent heat. So therefore, let us keep a light touch on it now. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The day of the Lord comes that way. Now, the Bible tells us in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we're not of those who will get taken that way. Notice it says, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. He says, you already know this because I've taught you is what he's implying. But notice the distinction he draws. He says, for when they say peace and safety, meaning the world has a different perspective, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, which implies that we, the church, have a different perspective. We know that peace and safety is not going to reign because we've already read the book, right? Destruction is coming. Judgment is coming. The world's going to progressively get better. We're not, and worse, we're not going to make it better. We're not going to clean up planet Earth. I'm just trying to get all of you who focus on, you know, the environment, which we should be good stewards. It's all going to burn. We've read it. What we're focused on in preaching the gospel so folks can get out of here. Amen? And so he says, and they shall not escape. But he says, but you, and he draws the distinction, but you. Well, who is he talking to? Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. So he's talking to believers, Christians, born-again believers. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. We're children of light. 
He says, you're not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. He goes on to say that we were not appointed to wrath but to attain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he draws the distinction. So this thief in the night is going to catch the world by surprise. It's going to catch some believers who are not watching and walking with the Lord by surprise. It says in Hebrews that there's, there's something special here. Let me read it. Hebrews 9, 28, it says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, notice, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. I love that. Who eagerly wait for him. We are to be eagerly waiting for Jesus' return. I would say to you, Christian, if, 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 if there was one thing that is healthy for you to preserve your Christian life and attitude, I would say it is a healthy life of looking for the coming of the Lord. Many are teaching otherwise because they don't believe and they're watered down lukewarm Christians. Paul told Titus that the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ is our hope. Paul told that to Titus. He told Timothy that there is a crown of righteousness for those who love his appearing. So the Christian who I believe is alive and healthy is one who is looking for Jesus to come. When I get up tomorrow, actually, I hope he show up before we get out in the parking lot. I'm good. I'm done with all of this. I really am. My wife is saved. My son is saved. My daughter is saved. Y'all are saved. I can leave. <laughs> and that's the truth. And so he says here, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know the hour I will come upon you. And you can take it the way you want. I believe the scripture is trying to get us to understand. And I want you to go read the parable of the, of the, of the wise and unwise virgins of Matthew chapter 25 in your own time. But we are to be ready and spirit filled day in and day out. I'm not going to tell you something that's going to make you dangerously comfortable. So this I say, if today you're living in sin, secret sin. Now, the, I'm not talking about those of you who are, who, who are broken and struggling and praying and, and, and seeking the Lord because that's life. You feel conviction for sin and you're seeking the Lord for deliverance. That is life because that wouldn't be happening if you were not spiritually born again, okay? The Spirit of God in you is bringing conviction. But if you're here and you have sin in your life and you don't feel that conviction, I'm here to tell you that if the trumpet blows and we leave, you're going to be here. Something's not right. And today you need to repent of that. And it's, listen, it's calling upon the Lord who loves you, who is merciful towards you, and who wants to save you and wants to cleanse you of all of that. Now notice verse 4. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy, and he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I like that. So basically that whole section speaks of two things. One, he says you got a few names in Sardis, even in Sardis, he says, because it's almost like the Lord himself is almost surprised. <laughs> even in Sardis, there's a few names who have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me, meaning relationship and intimacy, in white, for they are worthy. And the Bible tells us there's none worthy, no, not one. The only one worthy is Christ. So the only way for them to be worthy is to be clothed in white. We're going to talk about that, meaning that they have been cleansed by the Lord and his righteousness is upon them. Okay? And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And so we speak of garments throughout the scriptures. The Old Testament talks about the garments of mourning. And they would put on sackcloth and ash to signify that they were mourning and they were going through some things, you know. But then when the joy of the Lord was upon them, they would wash and put on clean robes. Even in, in the pagan world that they lived in in Sardis, they were not allowed to worship at the pagan temples with dirty clothes. They had to wash and put on clean clothes before we went in. So there's a lot of imagery. But throughout Scripture, garments seem to speak of some things. Because as we come into the New Testament, even the old, it speaks of the saints being clothed in white. 
And it represents both the righteous acts of Christ as well as the righteous, the, the righteous acts of the saints that they did in Christ. And so it speaks of those who are born again, who are righteous and right and living before the Lord. And so he says, there's a few in Sardis who are walking with me. And that's good news. Even in the midst of something like this, there is a remnant. There's always a remnant. There's always a remnant. And so he says now, there's so much to cover here. So he says, I will, uh, he who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. We've talked about that. But notice what he says next. He says, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess him before my father and before his angels. I will not blot out his name. So what that implies is that his name is in, in a book. He says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. So it implies that his name is in the book and Jesus won't blot it out. Does that make sense? So some people teach that, well, you know, this means that a Christian can lose their salvation. And I want everybody to listen. Even if you're moving around, don't miss this. And that is, is that this is not what John is saying, that you can be saved and then lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. In fact, I think a, a healthy understanding of the book of life is important. Let me, let me take you through a, a couple of things concerning the book of life. Y'all okay with that? Y'all got a few minutes? I'm going to take it anyway. <laughs> Look, it seems that all names are written in the book of life. Psalm 69, 28 says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. David talking about uh, let the witness, the wicked, let their name be blotted out of the book of the living, which implies that there's a book of the living of which all people who live are in. And there's a lot of books throughout scripture. Uh, we know that the Bible says that God bottles up our tears. Uh, he keeps our prayers and he keeps good books. In fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 20, at the judgment, it says that the, the dead and all were gathered before the great right throne and the books, plural, were open and another book, which is the, what's going to be called the Lamb's book of life then. And I'll tell you why in a minute. So in other words, there are books which record our life. And there is a book of life of which we have been written in. And that's very interesting. And look, this book was written from the beginning. I'm going to skip a little bit, but Revelation chapter 17, verse 8 says that all of those whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, they were worshiping the beast, the Antichrist, you see? But what it implies is whose names were not written in the book of life, notice, from the foundation of the world. Well, our name had to be in the book of the living from the foundation of the world because the Bible teaches us that we were chosen, predestined in Christ from the foundation of the world, which means that God had all of our names in his role book before he even began to create us. That is crazy, isn't it? That's the power of God. God knew every person from beginning to end before he even started. Their name was written in the book. Now, I believe it's a name that we don't know, by the way. I believe there's a name he calls us by that's his special name that we don't even know until we get there. My mama named me Kevin. And my mom and dad means kind. And I'm a, I'm a kind guy, right? Um, I don't know what the Lord is going to call me. But anyway, my name was written in his book before he created this, everything we see. So nobody can be an afterthought. Everybody in this room was intended by the Lord. Wait a minute, Pastor Kevin. I heard my parents talking, and I, I, or, or maybe I don't even know my dad. I, I was a oops, I thought. Maybe to them, you know, but God knows everything. They didn't know, but he knew that they were going to do whatever they did, and there you were here, you know. <laughs> God knew you before he started. You, you were intended to be here. Does that make sense? So everybody is special. So it's equal on what kind of parents you got. It don't even matter now, does it? No, it doesn't matter. Because your heavenly father knew you and loved you. So we understand that. But no, the only the other thing is that we, it seems that names can be blotted out is what it's saying to us here. In fact, Psalm chapter 9, verse 5 says, you have rebuke the nations and have destroyed the wicked and have blotted out their name forever and ever. So the wicked can be blotted out is what it implies here. In fact, 
those whose names are not written in the book will not have eternal life. Revelation 20, 15 says, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so in other words, that if someone is wicked and have rejected God's plan for salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, their name will be then blotted out. So Jesus is not saying that I'm going to blot a Christian's name out. He's saying I will not blot their name out because they belong to me. In fact, the name of the book of life gets changed. It's the book of life until we get to the end of Revelation. Revelation 21, 27 says this, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles, speaking of the new Jerusalem. Nothing that defiles will enter or cause an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, the only way to get into our eternal home is for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, why is it now called the Lamb's book of life? Well, here's the reason. Because it was the book of the living, because when the Father began, he put all the living in there. But all those who rejected Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, their names were blotted out. So the only people remaining in the book are those who belong to the Lamb. So now it's the Lamb's book of life. Because if you're in there, you belong to Christ. That's the book of life. Jesus says here, as we look at it, he says here, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. And that's wonderful, because see, in the Roman Empire, if you sinned against Rome, if you committed an offense against Rome, they would blot your name out. Rome had all their names through census. They would blot their name out of, of the census book, and you would probably receive capital punishment. But Jesus says, because you have walked with me, I will not blot your name out, but you have eternal life. He says, I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. In other words, that one is mine, Father, and all the angels will know it as well. And what that will imply, listen, here's the thing. What that implies on that day, because when we talk about garments being defiled, I always envision on Judgment Day when it says that death and Hades gave up their dead and everybody stands before the great right throne. I see them standing there in filthy rags, simmering with the smoke of hell, holes from the worms. Jesus says the worm never died and the flame never goes out in hell as they are brought before the throne, just receiving torment, about to go back into more torment. The books are open, and they've been blotted out of the book of life, so the other books which record all of their life are read, and they're cast into the lake of fire. We stand there on that day dressed in white, clothing, uh, arrayed in spectacular clothing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and because our names are found in his book, we will be spectators, not participants in that judgment day. And we will go into eternity with him, access into the new Jerusalem, in which there is a mansion for each of us because he says in my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to prepare one for you. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what the Lord said. Hey, man, we got room for you. I'm going to get you a special place prepared. That's what the Lord says. And he says here as he ends, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so it's extremely important that we as a body of believers, starting with your pastor and the leadership, that we seek the Lord in prayer. We seek to hear the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we're obedient. And it's important that you do that as well. Because I, I'm always, I always say, be careful what kind of disciples you make. Because we, we in our human nature, we tend to follow that which we see and the people who are involved in our life, especially at the beginning parts of our Christian walk. And so we come in this room with all kinds of previous things, uh, you know, and, and, and we need to understand that what's important now is that we settle down and that we let this living word wash us and, 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 and cleanse us and strengthen us and point us in the direction that the Lord has for us to go today, amen, and forward. And so as you bow your head and close your eyes, out of respect, how do you ensure that your name is in the book of, the Lamb's book of life at the end of this thing? Because it's very clear. If Jesus doesn't have your name, bow your heads, please. If Jesus doesn't have your name in his book, there's no way for you to enter into eternity. You go into 
eternal torment, but not eternal life with the Lord. Remember, life is to be with the Lord. Death is to be separated from the Lord. It has nothing to do with this physical body. It's just a vehicle, y'all. I did a memorial yesterday for a man who is saved and had a strong faith, and we rejoice because of that. Life has nothing to do with your body. It's the spirit. And you're either spiritually alive so that you can shake this old dead bag of bones off one day and, and, and really experience some life, or you're to be separated from God for all eternity and torment. And the way you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life is to understand that Jesus died for you because you are a sinner. See, I am a sinner. We're sinners, and, and we're separated from God even at birth. But God so loved us that he wanted to make sure there was a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be reconciled to him. And so he sent his son, God in human flesh, who was perfect and without sin. And so he was the sacrifice to pay for your sin and my sin. So that by faith, we would understand and embrace that. And when you hear that message of freedom that you can experience through Christ, your sins forgiven, his spirit filling you. And if you sense that a need to respond to that, that is the tug of his spirit drawing you into life. Drawing you into life. see you need that spirit giving you life as I see people die those who are born again they don't face fear that that same spiritual life they obtain when they hear the gospel message draws them into a wonderful life on the other side of this they graduate out of it and today the Lord wants to promise you that and so if you don't know him, if you've never had your sins forgiven, you've never surrendered your life to him, raise your hand wherever you are, here in the room or in the lobby, and I may pray with you now that we would settle that matter once and for all. Lord, we do love you this morning. We thank you, Father, for bringing us here, for being with us. Lord, I thank you for the person that maybe you're dealing with even now, that ultimately, Lord, you will win out and save every soul. We thank you. We love you. If that's you, raise your hand. Don't go out without doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us as we leave this place today. Keep us throughout this week. Keep us, give us the sermon. Go with us in our cars, our homes, our jobs, classrooms, Lord God. Wherever we go, Lord, be with us, reminding us of your great work that you've done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. God bless you.